Test, 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 one, two. Testing, one, two. Back, bent, bent, bent around the world. What's up, buddy? What's up? What's up? What's going on? How we doing? It's good, man. Uh, it's like deja vu. Last Saturday, get this podcast, go home, relax for the rest of the weekend. Regroup, gather yourself, come back hard uh, next week. That's the, that's the plan of attack. We got a nice topic where we're a little point blank pissed off about almost, you could say to speak. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to say angry. It comes off a little angry. A little fired up. But I'm fired up, man. I think that, you know, I, a lot of the stuff we're going to say today is tough love. Uh, I think, uh, you know, it might touch the hearts of some of uh, the people listening. Maybe there are members or there, there are people in the community that uh, just have to face reality um, with some of the training or the lack thereof. Um, and we're just finding, dude, that there are just some movements that people are n- never going to get better at if they ultimately don't become more intentional about what they're doing. Yeah, at the end of the day, there are movements that people suck at. And when these movements come into play, they are either running from it altogether or they are taking a regression as an easy way opt out, easy way cop out. 100%. And I, you know, I always say, like, you're not a genetic anomaly. You can't be like, I'm just not good at running. That's not possible. That's genetically not possible. Our organisms all uh, uh, adapt to the stress the same way. It doesn't know you're lifting deadlifts, like you're lifting heavy weight. It, it responds to that heaviness. And the same is true for people who say they can't get strong. They're not a genetic anomaly. They don't have some special disease at, in our gym that, that doesn't allow them to get strong. There's just not enough intention on what they are doing. And so they begin to believe that. They'll never be good at uh, cardio or running. They'll never be uh, lift anything impressive. Um, it's not because they can't. It's just there's no intention. There's no focus there. Uh, they've got an excuse. They've got a, that's an easy way uh, to stay comfortable and not um, do things that make you a little uncomfortable that promote growth. It's an excuse saying, hey, I'd rather do this instead of that because that's what I'm used to. That's what I can do, right? Instead of getting a little uncomfortable doing the harder movement. And, you know, what we talk about all the time is uh, a flaw in some CrossFit uh, mentality is that four time mentality, mm. right? They want to move as fast and as quickly as they can. They want to win. They want to show up everyone around them, but they're taking an easy route on movement standards, movement quality, uh, movement intensity. They're taking an easy route to lessen that to finish first. Yeah. I mean, we have a structure set in place with coaches that, you know, when we, we, we teach movement, we go over movement, we go breakout session to uh, refine that movement with proper load or range of motion. And then we look at it, we confirm we're good with it. I like that. Let's keep that today. And we say three, two, one, go. And it gets completely lost. You know, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think one, the pressure of, you know, feeling like you're doing terrible, uh, you know, that social confirmation, you want to show off what you can do fast. Uh, People get caught up and if they don't move fast enough, regardless of what the movement looks like, they're not getting a good workout. Um, There's just so many things flawed to that idea that it's hard, especially when the clock is going, you know, ultimately at some moments you and I just want to stop people like, dude, dude, stop right now. Stop Mm -hmm. what you're doing. But, you know, we have enough sense to be able to like try 
try to help them and fix them without, you know, ruining their experience too. But, you know, it, it still puts us in a tough situation because ultimately we got to pull them off to the side and say, hey, do you know what I was trying to say when I stopped you uh, when you were bringing the weight overhead? Because if we don't nip that in the bud early and you try to do it later, he's going to be like, why is Brett picking on me now? I've been doing this the same way for over a year. And that just really puts us in a tough situation because ultimately it's like you can get away with that now, but you're never, ever going to progress ever. Yeah, and it comes up to us as coaches to make this aware on what a progression is for this type of movement if you're really badass at it, you know, and on the contrary, what movement is a proper regression that we can do now, but it's still keeping you on pace and on route to grow and progress. Yeah, there's a common term in our community called RX, uh, and what I um, – you know, and most of the conversations when we talk to coaches are we're talking to athletes. Usually it's about, hey, I can't do what you want me to do RX. And so 80% of our conversation is about regression. So we're creating models and tools in our toolbox. If an athlete can't get a, uh, a chin over bar RX pull up, then we have them grab one band and one band only. And if they can't do that, so the conversation is always regression is they're just not there for the RX version but you know one of the things I understand stood a few years ago is that RX even in itself is arbitrary if we put movements of similar kind on a continuum it's infinity we can infinitely make an RX movement easier and logical, not skipping, right? Why would we put this as the first regression from churn over bar or over something else? And we, our job is to get as creative as possible and as logical as possible according to the science in our experience to make those progressions like a ladder, right? Or stairs, excuse me. It's you take this step first before you get to that step, right? Not just random regressions that we give people with no purpose and intention. Vice of this, Brett, RX in itself is not really the hardest version possible because we can infinitely make something possible. For the example, Chinda Bar, RX Chinda Bar is what 90% of the community is shooting for. Chinda Bar RX is not the end all be all. I try to teach a lady today how to do chest to bar pull ups. She's got five to 10 uh, chin over bar RX pull ups and she couldn't do it. Now she came to realize, like, holy crap, maybe that isn't the hardest way to do pull ups. And what's a chest to bar pull up? What's the what's the what's harder than a chest bar pull up? Muscle up. And what's uh, uh what's harder than a bar muscle up? A ring muscle up. What's harder than a ring muscle up? A weighted ring muscle up. What's harder than a weighted ring muscle up? A heavier weighted ring muscle up. Exactly. And so that is how we need to understand that because one of the things and this is getting philosophical but you know this is the frustrating thing and it hit me yesterday I'm like what happens is so someone starts right they don't get the the um they don't get chin to bar 99% of the people don't get chin to bar rx pull ups on their first day of crossfit right um, and so what happens is they learn a, a, the first modification for chin over bar which is what uh one banded pull up one banded pull up one banded kipping pull up if you're badass and can learn it quickly and so what happens is they're like holy shit now i can do pull ups again but what happens is that they, by definition, a modification is a temporary substitute for something harder. Preach. 
A modification is a temporary substitute for something harder, not for RX, because even RX has something harder. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is they let their modification, the banded kipping pull-up, become their new RX. And in their head, they're like, I made it. I'm good. You know, I don't need to shoot for RX chin over bar. I got a band that looks pretty damn similar to that same motion. I can move as fast as the person doing it uh, without the band. So there's no without without a you know intention for why they should eventually get off the band. They don't. And that's someone who uses two bands. The same thing with the lady with two bands. The lady who's been on two bands has been on two bands for five years. And it's why years ago we said we cannot do this thing with the band anymore because they are not getting any stronger. This is the same two vans with the same person year after year after year. By definition, she is not in a modification mode anymore. That is her new RX. Why? Because she is not trying to make it harder. Yeah, no, it comes down to developing the mindset and mentality of this is just a temporary fix, right? A temporary modification to eventually I'm going to want to get away with it and do the next step up, right? What, you know, is a flaw is what people are doing is they're getting accustomed to that. That's making them, like what you said, their RX, their norm, and almost developing it as a crutch, as a safety blanket. Hey, I'm going to do that just because that's what they're used to instead of developing the mentality of making it harder, going one step further and staying with your progressions. Yeah, and listen, I don't want to ba blame the athletes who are just doing everything modified, right? I think that, you know, ultimately people, not every person in the gym will have a ch chin to bar no matter how much progressions I give you. Your 77-year-old uh, master's athlete with a frozen shoulder will take his entire lifetime just to get his shoulder right. So the dude's not going to be doing any chest to bar kipping pull-ups anytime soon that's not what i'm asking i don't care if you never go what they call rx ever mm -hmm. but have you constantly progressed month after month through intention and if you can do that then i'm happy but it, it doesn't i'm not going to blame the athlete it starts with the leadership it starts with the owner it starts with the owner's responsibility to sell this idea to his coaches his coaches to buy into this idea and sell it to the athletes and that relationship between the coaches and the athletes that's what's responsible that nobody is getting comfortable with just where they're at that the coaches keeps reinforcing in a positive manner how these athletes should keep challenging themselves with that relationships that gets built and it's the athlete's responsibility to always keep wanting to get better and that has to keep happening sometimes the uh, the athletes surprise me with asking about how they can make that harder. And sometimes I have to force the conversation, an uncomfortable conversation, with somebody who's making a movement way too easy. And, you know, this ultimately comes to communication. Tony Robbins says it all the time. The quality of uh, our relationship is the quality of our communication. And that relationship that we're building with our athletes has to happen all the time, whether it's uncomfortable as not. Like I said, I'm afraid today that I'm going to sound angry. I don't. I love all my athletes. If I didn't, I wouldn't care. Just come in here, feel like you're getting a good workout and go home. Like, I love them. I want them to get better. I appreciate uh, how, how much they trust us. But if they trust us, when we're giving that feedback, man, you have to take it. What were we saying about the other day? Like, athletes in a dumbbell workout. Uh, oh, they were, what, you talking about coming up with a plan B option? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, to bring a little bit of context in it, 
we had a dumbbell workout that was setting up for our workout of the day. And some athletes, you know, instead of grabbing one pair of dumbbells, they were grabbing two pairs almost as a backup plan, a safety blanket, and opt out to lessen the intensity of the workout. Yeah, they automatically lost. They lost before we said three, two, one, go. And that's make it easier and still feel like I want to get a workout. I'm going to get the plan B in there. And like you said, the majority of the time when you take the opt out, you're going to, if you have the option for the opt out, you're going to take it. And sometimes we tell them, hey, listen, uh, I don't want you to grab two sets. Mm -hmm. Like, hopefully, like, like, hopefully we've created enough awareness for you that you know what the weight is. Or, hey, it's okay that the workout calls for 10 hang power cleans and you have to break it after five. That's okay. That's okay. And so sometimes they get offended because they don't want to hear that. You know, they don't want to hear that. Um, but we have to give them the honest truth because we're lying to them, those coaches that are keep giving these same subpar substitute modifications and, and we're going to go over some of this with the most common errors and the movements that we feel are not being modified uh correctly is they're lying to them man and they know they are they know they are but they're not willing to have these conversations with them yeah no step one is to relay that mentality that mindset hey we constantly want you to get better to uh do a little bit harder movements once that mindset is adapted, then plan B is to make them aware of what that yeah. progression actually is, right? What um, you could be doing as a regression, and then more importantly, what you could be doing as a progression. Now, people are kind of getting this messed up by picking these wrong regressions that aren't really keeping them on that timeline to do more and work harder and do a more challenging movement. They're picking something that might have a similar muscle working, but at the end of the day, they're not getting better. They're just at a standstill and they're adopting that as a crutch and that's their new RX and they're not moving down that line. So it's up to us to provide the timeline. Hey, this is what you should be doing now at the current capability you're at. Okay. This is where we want to get you to. And this is the step-by-step -step movement regression and progression as we go. So I think a good segue is we already talked about the pull-up, right? Chin over bar pull-up. Uh, a regression would be the first one would be a banded pull-up, okay? So we got out the way, but that's not the only movements we got here, right? There's plenty of other movements, and there's plenty of other faulty uh, regressions that people are doing. Yeah, you know, you hit so many good things. I think one is creating the awareness uh, that this is that, you know, th there has to be a need for wanting to get better. Two is, I think, like you said, part two is making aware what their limitation is. For me, all limitations are one or a combination of only four things. Strength, lack of flexibility, coordination, or fear. That's it. All of them mm -hmm. can be encompassed into those four, and we'll, we'll try to label and categorize some of that. For us, the pull-up, the, the number one, number one limitation is strength to body weight ratio. We say it a million times. Like we are literally, I can literally quantify what the strength to body weight ratio needs to be for you to even come close to doing your own pull-up. You're not going to be 300 pounds at 40% body fat without working out in two years and come over here, start doing pull-ups and get it mad that you can't do pull-ups. So we have to have the onset conversation. So, and I, I think too, Brett, every, you know, it, it should be a mandate and obligation when a coach gets hired into a CrossFit gym that they take the core 30 exercises that we're really cycling through and that they come up with their own continuum of most modified and most difficult 
movement, uh, a re, uh, progression of that movement, every single one. Because otherwise, you're just kind of, you're picking and choosing when to give somebody something. You're not using a structure or an order or a process for why you give somebody that. I ask that with all the time with the coaches. I don't ask them, uh, uh, what, not only do I ask them, why are you using this as your modification, but why would you choose that? Why? Why this and not that? Because if they can't fully answer that, they're just, like you said, they're going off videos they have memorized in their head, and that is not enough. So that's part two. Uh, we talked about with the pull-ups, I think um, – there's a lot of different variations, right? But I think always these modifications are always dependent to on uh, one of the things we do here, skill. The way we treat a skill movement is completely different than the way we teach the movement done under a wad, under a conditioning piece. They, they both serve different purposes. They're both equally important, right? Uh, the strict is, no, is just as important to us as the kipping, right? And vice versa. So strict, kipping, RX kipping, just a no assisted. Can you do it? No assisted. Add one band and one band only. We believe here and our, all our coaches on board, if an athlete can't do a pull-up with one band, I don't care what band you want to use to do that. Ours is, I think, our thickest. We have two types of bands, the thinnest and the level up from there. That's it. And so with that second level up, these bands are universal. Every company creates different colored bands, which makes it even more confusing. Uh, and by the way, bands are arbitrary as well, though they might say this band provides 20 percent, uh, 20 pounds of assistance. It's going to provide less assistance if you're shorter and more assistance for Coach Luke when he's taller. So even that's arbitrary. My client had a great idea the other day that's that point. that you should use a, a tension luggage rod to actually see how much resistance it weighs or provides. But so that in itself is arbitrary. But let's just say we use the second level blue band. That's it. If an athlete can't pull with one blue band, there's no miracle I can give them today to do that. It doesn't matter how amazing and cute that progression you saw on Instagram. It doesn't uh, deny the fact that the dude can't do a pull up. Doesn't matter how awesome he looks doing it with three bands. It doesn't change the fact he can't do a pull up. From there, we would go into uh, standardizing ring rows. I have an issue with ring rows too, and that's um, the body angle, right? So the hardest version, if you think about this, Brett, is a vertical pull, strict vertical pull. Why? There's no momentum from the kip, and you're completely straight up and down. So you're pulling all your body weight plus the force of gravity. Mm-hmm. The kip, we reduce the, gravi- uh, the load by 10 to th- 30%, depending on how efficient and effective you are at kipping. The, uh, why is the body, the body row, uh, ring row is so easy because of the angle. We directly affect the body angle. We can get up to, I think they said, 70% body angle change. So the higher we bring ourselves up, uh, the, the higher we set our chest up to look more similar to the pull-up, the harder it becomes, right? Or excuse me, vice versa, right? So the further back you get or the further under you get under it by walking underneath the bar, the harder it becomes. Here's the problem. In the middle of the wad where we substitute ring rows for them, they keep changing their feet out, the distance of their feet. You got to set a standard on where your feet are set up and maintain that the entire time. A hundred percent. And next time, go a little bit lower. And I hack it like we have cracks in the mat and we're saying, your heel, I'm looking, this is a great challenging standard for you with your heel on the line. Or what I like to do because the issue. Dumbbell or a plate. Exactly. Because as soon as you start bringing them under the bar to make it harder, they start slipping because of the angle of the hands compared to the bar. So standardize the ring rows from moving forward. The, the easiest way to standardize it so they know where to keep putting it is I like to, let's say, if the dumbbell is directly underneath the bar, then that's a standard. We can grab the measuring tape and say this athlete usually puts their feet six inches with the dumbbell 
from underneath the bar. That's their standard. Mm -hmm. And as they keep challenging that bar, that dumbbell needs to set further and further away from the bar. But if you just keep randomly changing the height of the angle, it's like uh, close your eyes and grab as many bands as you want today, right? It just doesn't make any sense. sense. So we need to standardize even the modifications. And we have no shame throwing in bicep curls. Right. We're honest that a lack of bicep strength is 50 percent of the reason why you can't do the pull up. Let's do some bicep curls today. Who cares that there's over there swinging on the bar and you have to throw in 10 curls instead of five kipping pull ups? I promise this bicep curl will do more for you than you with three bands on that bar. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Exactly where you're at, your current state of strength. Um, No, it's right on the money. What uh, what other movements did, did are, are we just so talking we, about? So we talked about lack of strength. Uh, I think another good one, which I've kind of been dealing with, is a fearful limitation uh, in the box jump. You know, some people have this barrier where they are scared to jump to a box, right? So how we kind of, you know, we, you and I, I know we're on the same uh, page with this. We want to regress this as a lesser jump okay so say you know we have three you know we got 20 inch boxes we got 24 we got 30 those are the norms of box jumps right so if you can't jump a 20 you know people their first step is hey i'm just gonna do step up and step ups instead and that's a completely different movement completely different stimulus that's not what we want we want to pitch the, hey, we need to jump on something. So meet me where you're at now. Let's jump on a couple plates. Let's jump on a green box. But we need to jump, right? And that's where it comes in to overcome that fear because our athletes, they are completely capable of jumping up to 20-inch boxes, but they are scared. You know, they are scared. I had a PT client where we just worked on the box jump. I've seen her box up hundreds of times on 20s. We busted out the 20, and it's been a little while, and she was scared to do it. Wow. She was scared to do it. So it's like, hey, listen, you know, and then it's just all about us instilling confidence in them. Hey, we know you can do this. It's up to you to understand and believe you can do this. I told her I would bet my bank account my entire life you could jump on this. I love it. Right now, okay? If someone had a gun to my head and say, hey, she needs to jump this or Brett's gone, right? I'd say, well, she's going to jump it. Like, there's, there's no doubt in my mind. It's just getting them to overcome yeah. that fear, right? And then putting the reps on a lesser uh, height jump. Yeah, I mean, and that's what a good coach does, Brett, is they, they get them to believe in themselves with things that we know they can do, but they just don't believe in themselves. And the box jump is a great example of fear being the issue. They're strong enough. Dude, she's got a 150-pound back squat. There's no flexibility issues. She has no pain. Come on. It's a fear, right? So, you know, for me, you know, I have five sisters. I'm ruthless. It's like let, let's get uh, – the fear comes through, uh, you know, over an exaggeration of thoughts. What if, what if I'm going to hit my shin, my face, I'm going to break my teeth, and I got to go to work today. And it's like mm-hmm. all that just happened in their head in about five seconds. And so what I like to do easily – yeah, because, you know – the, the movements are completely, I mean, to me, when a coach substitutes step-ups, they have a complete lack of anatomy and biology, right? They don't understand that a plyometric is a contract, is a, a forceful contraction, right? It, it's what allows us to jump off the ground. That is not the same contraction you get by stepping up. That's number one. Listen, if you are in pain when you jump on the box, we're not going to make you jump. But that is the only only reason you should not be jumping 
absolutely only reason. And it's the first question I ask. I can't do box jumps today. And it, are you okay? Are you hurt? No, I just can't do them. I'm afraid. That's not an option. It's not, it's not even my coaching vocabulary. I don't care if I grab a white sheet of paper from the printer and I make you jump onto that, <laughs> but you are jumping, man. You're jumping. You are jumping. You need to. And so I think for me, uh, as a quick visual, I like to, um, I like to set up uh, four box jump heights that they do in a ladder. So I'll take the 20. I take two green boxes, I take one green box, I take two plates, and I take a 25-pound plate. And I set it in that order. And we go basic stuff that they do without, with effortlessly. They don't even think about it. 25-pound plate, they jump onto the 45, they jump onto two 45s, one green, two greens, a little hesitant, and then they go right into the 20. Oh, shit, I finally did it. But when you're over here spending 15 minutes bathing them and holding their hand, you're feeding into that fear, and that's the worst thing you can do. And I try not to feed into it. If I'm more than two or three minutes into that, um, we're most likely not going to break that fear today. But we need to – what the convo got started again is we are – I'm not okay with you stepping on, onto this, and I'm being honest with you that this is not serving the same purpose. And then you're also delivering a progression of where you want it to be, right? You One plate, two plates, two green boxes, 20, right? That's the logical progression that you as a coach have and have made available to them, right? And based on their skill level, strength, all that, not fear, but what can you do right now, right? It's mm. kind of getting rid of the fear. And, you know, so A, just like we talked about, great takeaway. A, we are on the same level um, mentally where we're at. And then B, you are displaying and making available the regression and progression on what you want them to do. Yeah, and you, uh, you know, you mentioned the second part, which is the progression. Mm -hmm. You got guys jumping on 24s and 30s and they think, I don't need to jump anymore. Right? Yeah, no, we're adding plates on top of that 30, boy. Yeah, we're doing a skill work, which is, it's a great reminder. Skill Max height box jump skill day is phenomenal. It's a great reminder that these guys are still jumping 40. Uh, I think Chris jumped a 50-inch one time. It's like, and we can still go more than there. There's going to be a CrossFit Games with 50-inch box jumps with a weighted vest. Mm -hmm. You don't know what's possible until you see it, right? But when all you're seeing is the guys jumping on 24 and the girls are going 20, when you finally get there, you think you've made it. And again, it's our job, number one, to create the awareness of what they are still capable of doing. And it's their job to keep wanting to do more. Yeah, no. And um, I think a good uh, segue to another movement that really kind of brought this subject about and really got us fired up to where you sent out a, a pretty, you know, a mass email to our coaches like, yo, this is this is the icing. OK, this is the bottom line. I I'm done with this. I'm done with this. So. And the reason why we got so fired up about this is because people were not progressing, right? They were using these regressions as a crutch, and it wasn't doing them any any good. We had people doing this, um, you know, long term, and that's not what we want. Years. Yeah. So if you want to kind of elaborate a little bit more, I know you got some uh, some fire and some heart behind it. Well, and that's what you were saying when you saw me this morning. Is like, I didn't want to come off as an angry tone because you know, as a leader. You know, you, you want to stay cool-headed, but when I coached three classes yesterday and the wad was very manageable, it was three strict presses, six push-ups, and with the remaining time of the minute, perform max rep box jumps. And inevitably, I would say about 60 to 70% of the people at some moment went to knee push-ups. Male and female, beginner athletes to most advanced athletes, because it got hard. Because it got a little hard and they wanted 
they had that right th- that little anxiety because of the imam and they want to get to the box jumps they went to knee push-ups and it, it is such um it is such an abuse of the progression model that knee push-up that you know basically i said yesterday this is the only option moving forward for push-ups for all coaches it's mandatory like the same way you know you going over the workout review is now and i don't normally do that but I just got to a point where that the knee push-ups, I've had the same people for years, two, three, four years still doing knee push-ups. Why? Because they're not doing enough knee push-ups. You can do thousands of knee push-ups. They're proof of that. Four years later, how many knee push-ups you think Mm -hmm. they did? And they're still doing the knee push-ups. Let's just agree that the knee push-ups don't work anymore. There's a lot of reasons for that. Scientifically, they argue that it removes active... activation of the glutes quads and midline right that are necessary for a strong base for the push-up um the other one is that it lacks a transferability what other movement do we do in our training program that keeps you on your knees pushing like that absolutely none has no transferability whatsoever it's useless it's it's useless and i mean and the the knee push-ups you see are absolutely horrendous looking you got people you know doing the worm looking Knee push-up, uh, super, super overextended low back, uh, opposite super flexed hips where the butt is completely in the air. and you're, it, It's just horrendous, and it's not transferable. You know, and I think the other thing, I said this with uh, rowing back in the day, people can get away with some terrible rowing technique, and they don't care because it's going to be very rare for you to get hurt. I've never seen anyone hurt themselves on a rower. I've never seen anyone hurt themselves on a knee push-up. This is not what I'm talking about. I'm not encouraging you to do something harder to get hurt. I'm saying that you, it's obviously not doing anything for you. It's not going to let you move to the next level, which we need to encourage. And I think a lot of it is, like you said, it's a little bit like they don't believe that they can eventually do push-ups because never in their life have they done push-ups before. And so... What I said is basically I'm a big proponent and CrossFit has taught me this is that you have to quantify everything. It's why we do uh, when someone signs up, we do their body fat and we're going to do it every eight weeks. I don't care that you feel better and you have greater energy and your pants feel better. None of that. That will get you through about a month. And from there, you want to see numbers. Mm -hmm. And the same thing has to be true is there needs to be a way to quantify every single movement that you would define as Rx and quantify that as a regression that you can quantify and a progression that you can quantify on paper with standards that can be replicated from coach to coach, from gym to gym, to person, to country, to country. And for me, the only way to quantify that push-up is at uh, incline push-up. Now, I say that and the first thing coaches think, oh yeah, I have my athletes do push-ups on a box. If your athlete is strong enough to do a push-up on the box and they can do it as beautiful as your advanced athlete can do 50 beautiful push-ups in a row, good for you. What's the problem with that? What the hell are you going to do? So that's their new RX now is the 20-inch box push-up? Then what? You're going to jump to the 24 or to what? What are you going to drop below that? And so there's no, there needs to be an incremental seamless progression for that push-up and you're making the incline less and less over time that you can standard that they know right away to set up right not it got hard and then someone just ran over and did the push-up because they know that was the most easiest for them and for us uh we were fortunate to have um 
half dozen adjustable pull-up bars that we used to use in our kids program that are perfect perfect for multiple reasons the box sucks i hate the box uh people slip on them uh, they're not comfortable. They can't put their hands properly on them. The bench sucks just as much. It's nicer padding, but they're lightweight. They flip over. Uh, and again, the athlete needs to be strong enough at that height to be able to manage that. But ultimately, they should be getting stronger enough that they need to drop lower. What the heck are you going to do from there if that's the only two things you're doing, a box and a bench? The adjustable bar with the hundreds of notches on our rogue pull-up bars has a standard. Hey, this you can do challenge. This is a challenging 8 to 10 for you on the 20th notch. That's your number. When I ask you what's your pull-up what's your pull-up modification, you're going to say 20th notch. And then next month, I'm going to get you down to the 19th notch and then the 18th notch until you're two notches away from the ground. And that's a standard progression. It's comfortable on your hands. We can create, uh, we don't have to rush the standard because I can force that bar to touch the middle of your sternum the same way you're going to touch the ground eventually rx But we need to standardize. And the ultimate email with the coaches is I don't care if you bring a measuring tape out there to figure out where you're going to put that athlete in their adjustable bar. But the vocabulary with knee push-ups does not exist in the gym anymore. Yeah. No, and that bar, um, you know, was, was a great, great idea. How'd you come up with that? Um, I think it just happened one day. Honestly, it was the same thing. I'm like, this box thing looks, it just sucks, man. Like, they don't know what they complain. Like, where do I put my hands? I don't know. Put it where it doesn't hurt, you know, or the same thing with the bench. And, you know, the first thing they do when that gets hard is they start short re repping the range. And I'm a big proponent that you should make the modification, but never, ever short rep the chain, the rep, the range of motion. The full range of motion predicates what the modification is going to be. And There's then also, um, the fact that we're going from the incline now opposed to the knees is that low, that lower body got to keep your core stable. Uh, everything is involved the entire body, which is what is going on in a real pushup that isn't on a knee pushup. It's the first comment I get every single time I finally put them on the appropriate height on the adjustable pull-up bar. Man, I feel, I've never felt my abs when I've done the pushup. I've never felt my glutes or my legs when I've done the pushup. Exactly. And, and just the laziness of that knee push-up and laying down and they're panting and their heads off to the side and they're just fully relaxing just defeats the purpose of the challenge, right? And, uh, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a learning progress this month when that workout comes up and the coaches, like, have to say, there's no more knee push-ups here. And I want to not just – there is no I'm the, I'm the coach, you take it or you leave it, is we are going to sell why it doesn't work. How long you been on knee push-ups? How long you been on knee push-ups? And it just, it's got to hit home for them to understand, like, you're right. It makes me feel like I'm doing push-ups, but you're right. I've never progressed from this thing. Yeah, no doubt. Just to kind of recap, um, there's two things we need to do as coaches. A, like you just said, develop that awareness, that mentality. Hey, this is why we are doing it this way. This is what you need to adapt. We've got your best interests in mind, okay? And then following that, we need to give them the formula of proper progressions and proper regressions if we can align those two things with our athletes to just keep you know day in and day out there's no doubt they're going to develop as athletes they're going to get better they're going to get stronger 
And it comes down to being on the same page with those two things. Yeah, and listen, you don't need adjustable. Spend 100 bucks each on adjustable pull-up bars. You can easily set up a bar in the rack position with the J-hooks and uh, for safety, wrap bands around the bars so they don't fall away. It takes a longer setup, uh, much longer, because you can't quickly raise the bar up and down. you got to find the exact height that individual needs. Uh, so don't go out there spending 1000 bucks on, on 10 adjustable pull-up bars, but uh, y- you need to get them on an incline with a, some type of bar handle to really challenge them and, and stick to that notch handle or whatever. Uh, you know, I had a member uh, years ago uh, create letters on the notches up high to say this is A, this is B, this is D for the same reason. And we're going to say, like, when you're, uh, you know, you got to standardize, like, it made our life a lot easier when I can say, hey, put that J hook on, uh, on B. That's where you need to set it up for the back squat. Instead of like, oh, I don't know where to put it. They set the bar on and it's unequal and or uneven. And it just doesn't make any sense, man. Let's standardize this. Let's speak the same language. And let's really do what we're trying to do, which is help them get better. No, I agree. And then just keep the standards high, right? Once you commit to a standard, when you're working up to a conditioning piece, set that up and then uh, and then roll with that. Right. Just when you start to get a little fatigue, a little bit harder, um, don't go lesser of a standard uh, just because you're starting to get fatigued, right? Keep that standard high and roll with that. I agree, dude. I mean, we, we I, I hope by, you know, after this last movement, we really sell like, man, I, I just want to make athletes more aware of what, if they're actually saying what they're doing in training with the movements and the way they're doing it is actually the most challenging way they can do it given their current skill, experience, and strength. And if they can honestly say that, this podcast is not for you. It's not, you're not the person I'm trying to encourage and, and really take a realistic look at, you know, what you're doing in your training. Um, you pay a lot of money to do this, right? We say that there's, there is a urgency that we have as coaches to keep getting this, uh, people results, regardless of how long they've been here, what their current skill is, because you're going to be crazy. I say this all the time. You're crazy. If you six to nine months later have not improved and you stay here, you'd be crazy. And most people don't. They leave. And it's our obligation to keep challenging them in some way, no matter how good or deconditioned they are. That's our job. And to do it in a fun, comfortable atmosphere. Um, I'm getting off topic there. There's one more movement that I really want to talk about. Um, and it's running. It's, it's running. I think uh, people don't recognize one that Running is the most technical skill there is. No one would be like, hey, I want you to put 200 bar pounds on the bar- uh, barbell. They've never touched the barbell in their life and ask them to deadlift it. That would be crazy. But we're asking people to go from couch to 5K. They're asking people to get on the road tomorrow, regardless of how deconditioned you are, and start running and accumulate a little bit more miles every week and week. What a terrible, terrible. idea. And listen, I joke. I love CrossFit because it's the least it's the least running of any fitness program that I know. We run the least, right? We complain when we have to run four, 800 meters at a time. It still doesn't, uh, you know, negate the fact that running has a skill uh, component to us. We're not going to take it away from our program. And it's important. It's just a part important as the deadlift is. Yeah. And then, you know, it kind of comes down to what we, you know, we were trying to pitch on what you should be doing as far as a progression or a regression, when people don't want to run their first, you know, scapegoat is, can I do something else entirely? Right. Can I row? 
can I, um, you know, bike? No, 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 no. Let's okay. Let's run. Let's go. You know, maybe a little bit slower. Try to clean up the technique and lessen the intensity a little bit. But at least we're still running, right? Or hey, let's do like a, a run walk combo. It's kind of my go-to with the older athletes that are a little nervous about the impact on their knees. I say, hey, let's run as far as we can. That as long as it feels good. And once you can't do that anymore, let's walk, recover, and then run again, right? But we're not switching the entirety of the movement and in pitching a complete different stimulus yeah they're completely two movements it's like talking about box jumps and step ups you going from uh running to rowing has are two completely different things i don't care what the standard modification is when you go from running to rowing they're completely different so just like the box jump are you in pain no then you're going to run now we're just going to decide how long that's going to be and how fast you're going to do it. I love what you said, run, walk, if there's a fixed distance. Uh, to me, the, the, the modification for running is distance. It's purely. If the workout calls for 20-minute AMRAP, a 400-meter run, but you find yourself walking uh, five times in 400 meters, it's probably too long for you. And it's not too long that you're going to get injured. It's too long in that it doesn't preserve the stimulus, right? That's the term we use for uh, what we want our coaches to do when they consider modifications. There's a stimulus. There should always be a goal in the workout that you're trying to get everyone to feel. And if that, that person uh, walking and running five, st starting and stopping five times around a 400-meter wad, and they get one round and everyone else got four, it didn't preserve the stimulus for them. So that's number one. So it's, I call it threshold. How long can you run before you feel like it gets really uncomfortable or your technique goes to crap? Uh, I think it's about usually 200 meters. Great, your distances today will be 200 meters. A month later, the workout comes up, it's another 400 meters. Hey, you've been doing this for about a month at 200 meters. Let's try 300 Let's this roll time. roll with that three, baby. Yep. We want to standardize the run with distance the same way we standardize the push-up with height. For some people, they don't make that connection. It's either you're gonna run or you're not gonna run. You're gonna run the 400 or you're gonna walk the 400. And it's too much of a gap. We'll never get them to improve if we just keep making them run walk 400 meters when everyone's sprinting 400 meters, like the time trial, great example, 400 meter time trial. If you can barely run 400 meters and you have to stop two or three times, 400 meter time trial is not going to work for you. You're going to die at 200 meters. You're going to have to walk the rest 200 meters. Hey, less than that distance. I'm going to have you sprint 200 meters today. Got it? And that's going to feel, I can guarantee their heart rate's going to be at 200 meters the same way uh, Sticks is uh, one minute lap got his heart rate up to 200 meters, and that's preserving the stimulus. We also know that there is an actual method to running, and if you are telling people to run and you don't know how to teach them how to run, you're doing them a major disservice. People don't uh, get hurt from running because running is inherently bad. They get hurt from running in the same way they hurt their back when they rounded their deadlift on, uh, they rounded the deadlift. Technique. It's technique, and if you don't know what it is, Google it, pose running. Primal running, natural running, barefoot running. I mean, just start somewhere. But when I ask you, how do you teach people how to run and you can't answer that with confidence, man, you, you forgot that you just basically forgot that running is a skill and it's a technique because you're doing all that. You have all that in place for all these other CrossFit movements. And why don't you have it for CrossFit? And so with the athletes, we got to get them to understand that and figure that out. No doubt, man. No doubt. That's all I got, bro. Listen, uh, I, I hope – did I come off angry? Nah, you're straight, man. Listen – You're like a, a nice little teddy bear, to be honest. All right, honest. dude. I care. <laughs> I freaking care, man. And it's just like I didn't open this business to just get people to do cute workouts. 
I uh, I have a love-hate relationship with the comment. I really like that workout. That was a good workout. Because ultimately what we said, ultimately what they um, what they got out of that is there were just enough movements in there that I'm good at that I felt like I k- killed it today. Mm-hmm. What I would love to hear is some, like when someone says it's a bad workout or I don't like that workout, what they're saying is there are some movements today I suck at. that I'm a little uncomfortable with. And I know coach is going to make me do this this way. And so they might not leave as confident out there as they would with some of these other workouts with good movements or where they feel like they got something really good out of it. But I can promise you as you start challenging these movements and it doesn't hit you at 200 beats a minute at the end of the workout, you're not rolling and panting off the ground. I can still promise you it, if the, we start being more observant with the modifications that we're giving them, they're going to get more out of this long-term. And I want long-term approach. It's why we make uh, lifelong fitness as part of our mission statement. I don't care how awesome you are the first month here. Like the people that impress me out there are the Brandies who've been there for five years, Cindy who's been here for four years, the Andes and the Brooks and these people because they get it. They get it. Now it's my job to keep the topic sensitive. Homeboy goes out there and he's still doing the same modification that I saw him doing four months ago. I got it just a little quick reminder. Hey, why are you still doing that, bro? Let me see you do chest to bar today. Dude, that's awesome. Is that the first time you got that? That's your new modification, bro. But we have to keep having that combo. No doubt. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Uh, We'll keep bringing that fire. We appreciate you guys. Thanks. Bye. Peace.